Well, once again, welcome everyone uh, to Fur Road this morning, uh, this Sunday before Thanksgiving. Be sure to eat plenty of turkey or whatever your meat or food of choice is. Uh, one year we went to Holly's sister's house and she served something called uh, turducken. You ever heard of this? It's actually like a chicken stuffed inside of a duck, stuffed inside of a turkey, and uh, I, I don't know, to be honest, I'd rather stick with the turkey, uh, but, you know, whatever, you know, you guys want to do, that's fine. Um, don't forget to root for the Cowboys on Thursday, right? That, yeah, they play the Chargers this year, they always play on Thanksgiving, so that's an awesome tradition for Thanksgiving, right? Be nice, be nice. So, anyway, here, here's the deal, guys. We started talking about it last week. God wants to use everyone. There's nobody that God says, you know, I kind of missed the boat on that one. You know, there's no ugly, ugly ducklings in, in God's eyes. God sees us all as clay that he wants to mold and, and shape in, into something beautiful. But let me ask this morning, do you really believe that? Do you really believe God wants to use everyone, including you. Let me just say, I've, I've seen this illustrated by God over and over through the years, this idea that he wants to use everyone. Let me share, share an example with you to start things off today. Her name was Deborah, and she was part of my campus ministry at the University of Iowa, and, and she would uh, be considered special needs by most standards. Uh, she wasn't actually a student at Iowa. She originally came with a friend of hers, who was a student, and Deborah was a little hard to understand when she talked, uh, but let me just tell you, her love for the Lord uh, was just contagious, and, and she would often give me what she called songs that she had written down on a piece of paper, on notebook paper, and, and I kept a file for those, and, and I, I went through this week and, and counted them up, and she had given me 26 different songs that she had written over the years. At one point, Deborah decided she wanted to be baptized, and uh, the only problem with that was that she was scared to death of water, uh, but she wanted to face her fears, and, and so we, we talked about it and uh, got ready to do it, and she got in the water, and I was getting ready to baptize her, and her eyes were so big because she just had this look of fear in her eyes, but, but we did it, and she uh, went under the water brought her back up, and this beautiful smile just broke out on her face. And it was so awesome to be a part of that. Deborah was very special to me, and she loved to come to our group. She was a great recruiter. She, she would invite other friends to come with her. Um, and the songs she wrote, they, they didn't have very good grammar, and the spelling wasn't very good, but she just poured out her heart to the Lord. And so I picked out one of the songs to read today, just to give you an example. This one is called Trust in Me, and it goes like this. Trust in me, trust in me, trust in me that I am there for you. Trust in me that I heal the sick. Trust in me that I died for my children's sin. I died on the cross and rise again. I brought heaven and earth to my children. Trust in me that I am glory, that I am love, that I am hope. Trust in uh, that I am your Father, that I am your Lord. Trust in me. I will listen to your prayers, that you will worship me. Trust in me. Trust in me. Trust in me forever. Isn't that cool? 
I, I just I have a feeling that one day some of Deborah's songs will be put to music in heaven because they're just so so cool and just from the heart. And God used Deborah in a special way in, in our campus ministry because God wants to use everyone, including you. And so today as we continue in our series, looking at some of the minor characters of the Bible that had a major impact, we're going to take a look at somebody else that God used in some really cool ways. Uh, she's only mentioned in one section of Scripture in the Bible. Her name is Tabitha. Maybe you remember that name, and maybe you're going to be thinking right now, okay, Tabitha, where? I remember that name. And we don't have record of anything else she said, or anything that she said, but, but her life made a huge impact on the people around her. Tabitha was her name in Aramaic. In Greek, it was Dorcas. It literally means gazelle. Um, if I was her, I'd push for the Aramaic form of the name, but that's just me. You guys might like Dorcas better, but you can take your pick. Uh, we think she was probably a widow with some means to, to help others. Somehow she had some money, probably from her husband when he was alive. Uh, we think she was a widow because in our story, when she dies, other widows are taking care of her. There's not any mention of any other family members. And so Tabitha lived in the city of Joppa. It's about 35 miles northwest of Jerusalem. Uh, it was a seaport town. Uh, it has some historical biblical importance. If you remember, it's brought up a couple other times. Solomon used this port to receive the timber that was used to, to build the temple, if you remember that. And uh, Joppa was also the city that Jonah ran to to catch a boat to sail to Tarshish when he, went, when he was running away from God. Remember that? And, and so we've heard about this city before in the Bible. So let's go ahead and read about her. Her story's in the ninth chapter of Acts, and it's uh, verses 36 through 43 we're going to read. Acts 9, 36 through 43. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, her name is Dorcas. She was always doing good and helping the poor. About that time, she became sick and died, and her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Lydda was near Joppa, so when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent two men to him and urged him, Please come at once. Peter went with them, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the widows stood around him, crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. Peter sent them all out of the room. Then he got down on his knees and prayed. Turning toward the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes. And seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. And then he called for the believers, especially the widows, and presented her to them alive. This became known all over Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord. Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a tanner named Simon. So first of all, th this is an incredible event, okay? Being raised from the dead, it, I don't know, I think it, sometimes we especially if you've been a, a Christian for a long time, it's easy to read this and say, oh, yeah, that's great. You know, it happened all the time back then, no big deal. Don't forget to be amazed by the miracles of God, right? This is incredible. God did this. And, and, and we need to realize that this wasn't an everyday event for somebody to be raised from the dead. Even in the Bible, there, there's only about 10 different instances that I could find where people were raised from the dead. Jesus did it three times. And then there are only two other instances that are recorded in the New Testament uh, that weren't connected directly with Jesus. So Paul raised Eutychus from the dead. Remember that? When he fell asleep, 
uh, while Paul was preaching, he fell down from a third story window and and Paul brought him back from the dead. Uh, just to let you know, if you fall asleep during my sermon, you hit your head on the front and of the chair and die. I'm probably not going to be able to bring you back from the dead. So I'm just saying I, I, I wouldn't go there if I was you. So you never know. Um, and and we don't know why God chose to bring Tabitha back from the dead, but but I think a big part of it was the faith of the widows and the disciples who thought maybe God could use Peter to do this. He he had actually just healed a, a paralyzed man uh, not too long before this. And then I think it had a lot to do with the faith of Peter. God was doing some incredible things through Peter uh, at this time. And, and so they get Peter and, and he, he hurries to Joppa, Joppa and uh, not Joplin, Joppa. And, and Peter was... When he did this, he very closely, actually, if you look, compare the events, he, uh, he did it very similar to the way Jesus did when he, he brought Jairus' daughter back from the dead. That time, Jesus sent everyone out of the room except her parents, and he took her by the hand, and he said, Talitha kum, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Peter also sent everyone out of the room, and, and he said, uh, in Greek, Tabitha kum which means Tabitha, get up. And, and I, I don't think it's a coincidence all here that there's only one letter difference between these two statements, Talitha kum and Tabitha kum. And, and so I think God does cool little things like that all the time. And so that's just a little one here. And, and so Peter said, he said, Tabitha kum, Tabitha, get up. And, and, and she did. Can you imagine? She's alive. Okay, she's alive. One of the coolest miracles in the Bible. And sometimes we just go right past it. I mean, this wasn't a, a thing where she was sick and, and, you know, Peter made her better. She was fully dead. They had already started preparing her body for burial. And now she's alive. Wow. So I want to take a look at a few of the cool things about this briefly mentioned lady named Tabitha. Uh, and so if you want to follow along your, your bulletins on the back, you, if you'd like to. Uh, introducing Tabitha. First of all, she stood out as a true follower of Jesus. Verse 36 again said, In Joppa there was a disciple named Tabitha. Okay, so she was recognized as, as a disciple. You might say, what, what's the big deal about that? Well, actually, Tabitha is the only woman in the New Testament who is specifically referred to as a disciple of Jesus. Okay, obviously there were many other women who were disciples of Jesus, but Tabitha is the only one specifically mentioned as a disciple. And the word disciple in its general sense in the New Testament was basically somebody who was a follower of Jesus, but also not just a follower, but committed to the teachings of Jesus. They were committed to learning and following and growing in Jesus. And so it was just, it was much more than just believing in Jesus. It was truly following and living out the teachings of Jesus. So remember Jesus in the Great Commission at the end of Matthew commanded the 12 disciples to go and make disciples. Go and make other disciples like you are. Go make others. And so I don't think that Luke, the author of Acts, took this term lightly when he called Tabitha a disciple. She was a true disciple. William Barclay writes this. It's possible to be a follower of Jesus without being a disciple, to be a camp follower without being a soldier of the king, to be a hanger-on in some great work without pulling one's weight. 
Once someone was talking to a great scholar about a younger man. He said, so-and-so tells me that he was once one of your students. The teacher answered devastatingly, he may have attended my lectures, but he was not one of my students. There's a world of difference between attending lectures and being a student. It's one of the supreme handicaps of the church that in the church there are so many distant followers of Jesus and so few real disciples. Okay, that was William Barclay, true words. I actually think that one of the greatest compliments that somebody can give to a Christian is to say they are a disciple. That person's a disciple. Tabitha was a true disciple of Jesus. We also see that she had a huge heart. And I mean huge. Okay, it was big. Yeah, you, you guys didn't even follow along with me. Maybe it was that bad of an impersonation. Um, all right, so is everybody awake? All right, here we go. All right, go Cowboys, right? Uh, that's the biggest reaction I got earlier when I said go Cowboys. All right. Okay, I know you're awake now. So she had a huge heart. And it says she was always doing good and helping the poor. What an incredible thing to be known for. You know, I could just hear people talking about her. That, that Tabitha, she's something else. Every time I turn around, she's doing something to help somebody. And it doesn't matter who, who it is, she's just always showing the love of Jesus to people. And I don't know how she does it. You know, that's the kind of person she was. What, what an awesome thing to be known for, right? You've seen those kind of people that have the mindset of helping people all the time. Our, our church mission is loving God, loving people. We want to be a church with a huge heart, and I see that in so many ways. But it takes a whole lot of action to back up that statement, right? Or we can end up doing more damage to the kingdom than helping it if, if we're not really being loving God, loving people as a church. I read a story about a man named George. Uh, George was known for his big heart and wonderful sense of humor. Everyone loved George at church, and, and he was respected at the hospital where he worked. And the reason why so many people loved George was because he was always kind and, 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 and respectful to everyone he met. George's children clearly remember the days George spent in the hospital before his death. The administrator of the hospital paid him a visit, and they spoke as they were old friends. A few minutes later, one of the janitors came in to visit George, and they too spoke as old friends. When the janitor left, one of George's children said to him, Dad, did you realize that you treated the president of the hospital and the janitor just alike? George smiled and and chuckled and then said, Let me ask you something. If the administrator left for two weeks and the janitor left for two weeks, which one do you think would be missed the most? (laughs) It's true. Then George called his children around his bed and said, let, let me show you something I carry in my pocket all the time, even when I mow the lawn. George pulled out a pocket-sized cross in a marble with the golden rule on it. And George said, on the cross are written these words, God loves you. And on the marble are these words, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. The cross reminds me of how deeply God loves me, and the marble reminds me of how deeply God wants me to love others. I think that's the kind of mindset Tabitha had as well. She loved God, and she loved people, and she just had this huge heart. Kind of along those same lines, she gave the marginalized dignity. She gave the marginalized dignity 
Uh, verse 39 again says this. Peter went with them, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the widows stood around him, crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. Did you catch that? Okay, the, the widows were standing around wearing the clothes that, that Tabitha had made with her own hands, and she had given to them, and, and uh, she herself... If she was a widow, would have been marginalized in that society, but she didn't let that stop her. And, and she wanted to keep others from being marginalized. You know, most widows in that society had very opportun- few opportunities to make money. And, and they were often dependent on others to meet those needs. Tabitha had a ministry to these widows. And, and she was a seamstress, and, and she was good at it. And, and she made nice clothes for them, them to have, clothes they were proud of proud to wear and, and so that they had dignity it sounds like she made a lot of clothes okay this was part of her always doing good to others i think tabitha had a special place in god's heart because of the kind of person she was the book of james it shows us just how important it is to take care of the marginalized of society james 1 to 27 Religion that God our fathers accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Okay, this passage was one of the key passages that inspired Ted and Bev Skiles to start an orphanage in Taiwan. And they're approaching 50 years of serving God in Taiwan, taking care of the marginalized of that society. And that's what Tabitha did too. One more thing I want to point out about Tabitha. Her story brought people to the Lord. Her story brought people to the Lord. Verse 42 says, This became known all over Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord. Okay, news of this miraculous resurrection from the dead has spread all over the city. And there was a buzz and excitement about it. But the story, it wasn't just a random person that God brought from the dead. It was a very special person in that church, in that city, and many people heard this story and decided, I'm ready to be a disciple of Jesus too. Notice it says many. Okay, It doesn't say everyone in Joppa became believers in the Lord. There are some people whose hearts were too hardened, and they probably tried to explain it away. Oh, she, yeah, she must not have been dead, or, or she was just in a coma, or they probably exaggerated the story. You know people like that too, right? People who always find a way to kind of explain away God, um, discredit God. But, but if your heart is hardened, it, it's, it's easy to do that. You know, many people saw the miracles of Jesus directly, and, and they didn't become followers of Jesus. So, so your heart has to be in the right place. Ultimately, there's still a choice. Are you going to truly become a disciple of Jesus or not? And some... Some people decide not to, and and it's sad. But the focus here in our passage is on the many who did decide to follow Jesus as a result of Tabitha's story. And that is cause for celebration, right? That's the time to say, woohoo, party time. Got to throw a woohoo in every couple weeks just, just for you guys. Just like in the book of Luke, remember that, the parable of the lost sheep? Luke 15, 3 through 8. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. 
Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and, and goes home. And then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I've found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Okay, there is a party that takes place in heaven every time someone decides to follow Jesus. You know, I've had the, the opportunity to baptize quite a few people over the last 25 years, and, and every single time it is exciting for me. It never gets old. It never gets old to me, and, and, it, and it really never gets old to God because a child is coming home. So, you look at the story of Tabitha, and you might be tempted to say, well, if I had her story of being dead and then alive, I, I would tell everyone about it. Okay, I'd tell my friends, I'd tell my family, I, I'd probably even tell strangers because, man, it's such an awesome story. If only I had an exciting story of being dead and now being alive. You see where I'm going with this? The truth is that if you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, you do have a story of being dead and then being alive, right? We were all dead in our sins without Jesus. We were destined to be lost, separated from God forever. Colossians 2.13 is an awesome verse. It says, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. So stop right there and think about this. That should blow us away. We do actually have a story of being dead and then alive. And it's more important even than a physical death and resurrection. Because we're made alive spiritually for all eternity. Yes, you do have a story of being dead and then alive. And it's a story that needs to be told. You know, if Peter would not have brought Tabitha back to life, it would have been really sad for the people around her. But, but she was a Christian already, right? Her eternity with God had already been settled. When we lose loved ones who are followers of Jesus, it, it is sad, but there's also a joy and a peace about it because, because we know that they're with God for all eternity, right? They were dead in their sins, but they, they came alive in Christ. When people die without Christ... That is the tragedy. God used Tabitha to bring others to Christ. And God wants to use you too. No, really. Look at me. God wants to use you too. He wants to use your life. He wants to use your story. He wants to use your unique way that He brought you from death to life. Every Christian has a story to tell. One of the most amazing things to me in nature is to see the transformation of a caterpillar into a butterfly. Isn't that amazing? You have all the different stages. The process is called, what's the process called, remember? Metamorphosis, good. And, and so first you have the, the little tiny eggs that are laid on a leaf. 
and, and there you know, might be hundreds of them on the leaf. And then the egg becomes a caterpillar, which is also called the larva stage. And, and the caterpillar's job, pretty much one job in life is to eat, okay? It just eats and eats. It's laid on the kind of plant that it likes to eat, and so it eats and eats. And, and uh, uh, I don't know if you knew that the skin on the caterpillar uh, cannot stretch, uh, for the monarch, and so it just, as it gets bigger, it sheds its skin, and and then keeps eating and eating, and then finally, uh, it goes into the pupa stage, and, and it looks dead, but it's not, okay, there, it's changing inside there, into, from a caterpillar into a butterfly, and, and it's an amazing transformation, and, and you get the butterfly and you think, how, how did that happen from a worm to a butterfly? It's crazy. And, and the truth is that the butterfly doesn't even live very long after it's alive. Did you know that they only live from two to six weeks after they become butterflies? And, and then the whole process starts over again. You know, when we go from death to life spiritually, there is an amazing change that takes place but it's not a temporary change it's a change that lasts forever for all eternity and and eternity it's one of those things that kind of blows our mind away right it's just like whoa what i how i mean how does that work but it's a forever and then some more tabitha went from death to life physically but you know what eventually she died again physically Everyone does. But when you've gone from death to life spiritually, it is forever. And, and so we need to make sure that those around us are ready for that day they die physically so that they uh, know that they will live forever spiritually. You know, if, you, if you've never stepped over that line for the first time, today could be that day. You could make a decision of, of going from death to life today there could be a celebration today you could say i'm ready to give my life to jesus today and be baptized if you'd like to talk to somebody about it we have our next steps room available after the service if you're ready now you're welcome to come forward as we sing we would love to celebrate with you pray with me Father, I thank you for the examples we have in Scripture, the people that we kind of normally skip over and don't think about, but just the way you've used so many people in the fine print of your word. And and I pray that we will see that and realize you want to use each of us too. And I thank you for the, the miracle that you performed in Tabitha where she went from death to life physically. But I I pray that that all of us will experience the miracle of going from death to life spiritually. We thank you for our salvation that comes through Jesus. We love you, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen.